What is going on? How you guys doing tonight? Are you good? Hey, I say it every week. My friends remind me that I do, but why don't you look at your neighbor, give him a hug, a high five, a handshake, a kiss, whatever's appropriate for you. Just don't make it your first kiss. That'd be kind of weird. Hey, uh, real quick before we jump in, is it anybody's first time here at Young Adults? First time on a Thursday? Your friends sold you out. Your friends sold you out. Hey, we want to say welcome. I don't know if this is your first time at YA, if this is your first time in church, period, but I honestly believe from the bottom of my heart that not a single person is in here on accident. Truly, I believe that if you are in here and your butt is in a seat, God has a reason for you to be here. And I believe that if you're in here and you're looking for purpose, God has a word of purpose for you. If, you, if you're in here and maybe you've been beating yourself up, God's got a word of grace for you tonight. And so all we want to say, if church isn't your thing and maybe you don't even believe in God, I honestly believe that God believes in you and Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. And so our hope is that tonight you feel welcome, you feel comfortable, and just know that you're a part of our community. You don't have to believe what we believe to belong here, but our hope is that you leave different than when you came in because you've experienced the one true living God. Um, over the past couple weeks, three weeks to be exact, uh, we've been in a series called Trailblazers, and I think it only appropriate to take a minute and recognize um, somebody who is an incredible trailblazer and we celebrated a holiday on Monday, Dr. Martin Luther King Day. Um, why don't you give it up? I honestly believe from the bottom of my heart, racial justice um, is not, it's not a political issue. I don't think it's a social issue. I think it's a kingdom of God issue. And while Martin Luther King was far from perfect, just like all of us in this room are far from perfect, I believe that he got a glimpse of heaven, uh, a, a picture of what God sees and what God wants for every single human being, regardless of race or country of origin or language. I believe it's not something that's just a political hot topic. I believe it's very close to the heart of God. And when I was younger, um, I was naive and stupid and I had this little picture Bible and everybody, every like angel and every time they depicted heaven, everybody was Caucasian and blonde. You know what I mean? Um, and so growing up, I thought heaven would be just a bunch of white folks that spoke English. Um, <laughs> so stupid. But uh, I remember one of the first times I ever read in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapters uh, 5 and chapter 7. In verse 9 and 10, it says this, that around the throne room of God, there are people from every tribe, every nation, and it even says every language, all worshiping God together. And the older that I get, the more excited that I get. I can't start crying before the prayer. It just doesn't, doesn't work that way. Um, the older that I get, the more excited that I get that in heaven, we're not going to all look the same. We might, we might speak different languages. Hopefully we can understand each other. But I think it's just this beautiful picture of what heaven is going to be like. Different color skin, different, different languages, different, different countries of origin, all together worshiping the only God who can save. And so tonight, if there's anybody in this place that has ever faced 
bitterness or hatred or racism or discrimination or isolation in any way, shape, or form because of the color of your skin, the language that you speak, or maybe your country of origin, I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, you belong here. You, believe in, you belong in God's house. And together, we will fight with you and we will fight for you to see God's dream for racial equality come true. Because I believe we are coming very soon on a day where the things that once divided us are actually going to be the things that we celebrate together as all of us come together and worship Jesus for all of eternity. Does that sound good? Can I get an amen for that? So to anybody in here... Um, to my black brothers and sisters, to anybody who's ever felt any type of discrimination. We love you. We care about you. You belong here and we're with you. We love you guys. And so I just wanted to take a minute to say that before we jumped in. How many people uh, have their Bibles here tonight? Anybody got their Bible? All right, I want you to turn, turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, pretend like you have your Bible or if you're sitting by somebody attractive, lean over, ask to share their Bible. That'd be a pretty cool story. I don't know, like how you met your spouse. Mark chapter 2. And for whatever reason, this is one of my absolute favorite stories in the entire Bible. And, and just a, a couple months ago, I had the opportunity to go on a trip to Israel with some of my best friends in the world. And I got the opportunity to stand in the city where this story actually took place and, and look at the house where they believe this story happened. And so we're going to jump in. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says this. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, or the way that our tour guide pronounced it, Nahum, or something like that. But I butchered that. But all right, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers, there was actually no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. And some men, bringing a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered this mat, this man that was lying on the mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were there. These are what we would call modern day haters. They were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow, why does Jesus talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their heart. Like how crazy is that? If somebody like responded to your thought and you know, like, oh dang. Like, and Jesus still does that to this day. But he said to them, he said, why do you think these things? What's easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven? That's actually easier to say because there's no proof of that. Or is it to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Because you've got to see him do it if I say that. He said, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up. He took his mat and he walked out in full view of everyone. This amazed the crowd and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. So the title of my message tonight, if you're taking notes, and if you're taking notes, you get a better house in heaven. You already know that it's in the Bible somewhere. The title of my message tonight is this, I will choose to fight for others. I will choose 
to fight for others. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, we love you so much. God, we are so well aware that without you, this is weird. This is stupid. This is strange. But God, you love us. You know us. You care about us. You paid the ultimate price for us. And the Bible says when we gather together, you show up. And when you show up, things change. Things happen. Miracles take place. Broken hearts get healed. People that walk around purposeless find meaning in you. People that are hopeless and depressed find hope and faith in you. And so tonight, God, my only hope is that you show up and do what you want to do. Take my message, use it, speak to people beyond the words that I actually say. Give somebody a revelation of who you are and how good you are and how much you care. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Hey, so over the past couple weeks, we've been in this series called Trailblazers, sort of taking this idea from a scripture in Isaiah chapter 43, where God says, hey, I want you to understand something. I am in the process of doing something new. I'm going to do something new that you've never seen before. He actually says, forget the old ways. Forget the things of the past. Forget your past. Anybody got some things in their past they'd like to forget about? He said, hey, forget the past. I'm doing something new. I'm making new ways in the wilderness. I'm making rivers come out of the desert. I'm doing a new thing. I'm taking ground. Can you perceive it? Are you ready? And the first week... I got up here and I talked about the spirit of a trailblazer. What it, what it means to have the spirit of a trailblazer, to have eyes that see beyond the current situation into the future that God is trying to create. To have ears that can hear that still small whisper of the Holy Spirit, but to have a heart that is quick and passionate to obey God and say, God, I will follow you wherever you want to go. And last week, Jess got up here and she talked about how if we want more power in our life, we simply need more of God. We need more of the Holy Spirit. This isn't a game or this isn't an exchange. God has made infinite power available to those who will come after him and seek him with their entire heart. And so tonight, I want to take the next uh, two, maybe three hours. You laugh, but just imagine, right? You clap, but I guarantee you if I went two hours, you'd be like, oh my gosh, get me out of here. But I just want to take the next couple moments and talk about this idea of trailblazing for others. Trailblazing for someone else, fighting for someone else to find a way to get to Jesus. Because I think when we throw out this word trailblazer, we, we kind of get this idea, this concept in our head of maybe being entrepreneurial, maybe being the first, maybe being the only, the first person to go here, the first person to think of this thing, the first person to have this idea and to go out and to do the thing. And with that comes all the praise and all the accolades and all the glory of being the first person to do fill in the blank. And it feels like this exclusive thing that you get to be a part of. But recently I've been watching some documentaries on social media and, and sort of the first people to really take advantage of social media and this concept of, 
of influencing. Like there's a new trendy, like sexy word in like the church world and kind of in our culture and it's influencing. It's being an influencer, like having that blue check mark by your name and being an influencer. And I've been watching some documentaries on the people that really pioneered this idea of being an influencer, like being a brand to yourself. And to most of these people within these documentaries, you would think that they've absolutely made it. You think like all the pictures that they post, they get thousands, if not millions of likes. They're on yachts. They're, you know, like in clubs and like they found ways to make themselves uh, literally influential to other people. And they've made a market, a brand of themselves. And so they get the opportunity to test out products and endorse them to go to clubs or or restaurants and endorse them. And they've made themselves a market and they've been the first people to really kind of blaze that trail so that anybody who possesses a phone, a camera and the ability to post on Instagram can become sort of their own brand. And most of these people within these documentaries in one way, shape or another, all kind of sort of talked about the, the struggle of being one of the first people and to maintain it. And in some way, shape, or form, they all sort of said this thing. They said that every single day is a fight to stay on top. Every single day is a fight to make sure that my next post is light, that my next post is fire, that my next post portrays this image of myself that I want to give off so that I can continue to get the ads, I can continue to get the marketing. I have to fight every single day to make sure my next post is what everybody wants it to be because if I send something out there, and it falls short, it could be the one thing, the one post that starts to send me into the world of social irrelevance. And all of these people that look like they have everything, like this documentary follows them and they're hanging out with celebrities and eating restaurants with eating at restaurants with musicians and they're hanging out with like all the to-do people that you think that they have everything together and almost every single one of them express some sort of anxiety and depression, feeling the pressure of having to fight to maintain their platform, to fight to maintain their influence. Like some of them are on so much medication because they can barely sleep at night. And as I'm watching these documentaries, I kind of got this thought like deep in my spirit of like, what if we as a church, what if we as a group of young adults were passionate, so passionate about fighting for others? Maybe not for ourselves, maybe not to build a platform for ourselves or to get the likes for ourselves, but what if we had that same mentality where every day we woke up and we're like, I'm ready to fight. I need to go in and fight because the next person that I come in contact with today might be the last day they breathe their last breath. And so I will choose to fight for every single hurting and broken person I come into contact with? What if we as a church, a group of young adults, as individuals embraced the mindset that I'm not in this for myself. I'm not going to fight to build myself a platform. I'm not going to fight to build myself an empire, but I will give my last breath to fight for others who need the hope of Jesus Christ. I think there's three things Um, in the story of Mark chapter 2 that we can pull if we're going to understand what it means to have this commitment in our heart to choose to fight for other people. And the first thing I think we can realize is this. I honestly believe with all of my heart we live in a world that is in desperate, desperate need 
of hope. We live in a world that is in desperate need of hope. I remember when I found out we were going to Capernaum, I was so excited on my trip to Israel because I knew that's where this story took place. And so, you know, the night before I was in my Bible, I was reading about this story that morning. I, I was reading about the story because I wanted to have it fresh in my mind. I wanted to walk the streets and, and picture everything happening. And I'm walking through this town, this ancient town of all these ruins and seeing these homes and seeing Peter's house. And they actually think historians think that it was Peter's house that these guys dug a hole into. And so, I, you know, I don't know if Peter's ever just like, man, what the heck? Like, trying to hang out with Jesus and you're digging holes in my house like but I remember like getting there and walking these streets and having these surreal moments and I remember like seeing where they think is Peter's home and picturing this story of all of these people like gathered like crowding this home and I started wondering like what what would cause people in the middle of a seemingly normal day, a normal work week, like to give up their, their job for a day. Like they, they, maybe they don't get paid for a day. Like what, what would cause a group of people, such a large crowd to gather in a house to hear like a new teacher? What, what would cause that? And honestly, I remember standing there and thinking, it's hope. Like these people back in the day who, who ran this ancient city, they were looking for hope. And I remember standing there staring at what they think is Peter's house and, and imagining this crowd. And I was just thinking, man, years have passed, but not a lot's changed. We live in a world that is still desperately searching for something to believe in. We live in a world that is desperately searching for something greater than ourself. I remember one of those social media influencers, she was like one of the OGs to pioneer this thing of like building herself up as a brand. She is world famous and she travels the world going to different clubs in like Saudi Arabia, Paris, like New York, like wherever. And she just posted on the gram and all of her like little crew, like her minions, like follower and like everything she's doing. And it followed her around. If I said her name, you would know it. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe she watches this. Fingers crossed. Who knows? But I want to be respectful of her. But she's got this whole crew of people that follow her around on Instagram. And then she goes home and her house is empty. She lives in this insanely like large mansion and her house is empty. And she starts to like turn to the camera and cry a little bit. And she's like, there are nights where I'm so depressed and so filled with anxiety that I can't sleep. And I'll take my medication and I still can't sleep. And so what I'll do is I'll get on my Instagram feed. I'll see the, you know, some of my followers that have DM'd me. And if they live close to me, I'll actually invite them over to my house. And we'll hang out and we'll make it seem fun and we'll make it seem cool. And they're like, well, why do you do that? Like, don't you, don't, aren't you afraid that you might have like some psychopath like come into your house? And she literally was like... There's just times where I can't sleep. I just need something. And so I need people that feel like they love me just to be around me so I can lay my head on my pillow at night and just go to bed. Like, guys, we need to start reading the signs that our world is pointing out. 
People are hurting. People that seem like they have it all together are inviting complete strangers into their home because they're looking for a real connection. They're looking for something to put their hope in. They're looking to just find something that they can cling on to. Like people are broken. People are hurting. And the message that our culture is pushing out is fight for yourself. Fight fight to gain influence. Fight to gain power. Fight to gain followers. Like follow your dream build your platform, build your brand. And we have never as individuals been more empowered and more depressed at the exact same time. Literally, clinical studies, medical studies show that we have never as individuals had more power to influence with a phone, and yet anxiety and depression rates are at an all-time high. People, our world is looking for something to hope for. What else would pack out a room? What else would pack out a house? But the news that Jesus is coming, that he's in town, and maybe he's different. Maybe he's actually somebody that I can anchor my soul to, and my soul will find rest, and my soul will find the hope that I'm looking for. Listen, if this is the reality of our world, and I promise you that it is, literally just go on Netflix, like look at these documentaries, the rich, the famous, the influencers, the down and the out. People are searching for something. And the facade that we can put up on the gram and, and make it look like we got it all together, it's hollow and it's empty and it's eating away at people. And, and the time for us to sit on the sideline and wait when in our hearts we have the hope of the world. The Bible literally calls Jesus the hope of the world. And we're watching a world crumble and we're sitting on the sideline with this hope that we have. But we're too afraid or too ashamed to share. We got to like pick it up. Like we got to get in the game. We got to have the conversations. We can't be afraid. Like the time for radical faith is now. Not to see some weird movement, but to see broken people find hope. But in our Christian world and in our Christian like bubble that we can create, there's this harsh reality about, about moving the kingdom of God forward. And it's this. It's real easy to be around the fight for others. It's real easy to be around it, but you can be around it and not really be in it. It's easy to be around the fight, but not really be in the fight for others. I remember in this story as I was reading it, and I've read it hundreds of times, I was just reading about these guys that were passionate for their friend that was hurting, so much so that they grabbed him and they carried him on a roof. And I remember reading about this crowd that huddled in to this house and I remember thinking, I felt like the Holy Spirit put this on my heart. I wonder how many paralyzed and broken people this crowd had to step over and step around so that they could get a chance to huddle around Jesus. I wonder on their way into this house to be around Jesus, to be around something good, how many broken and hurt people did they have to sidestep so that they could be, in the, be close I remember in my own life, I was just sitting there thinking, how many people have I walked beside or walked around or didn't want to have the conversation with because I was on my way to church? Hey, man, I can't really talk right now. I'm preparing a message. What? Like that matters. 
How many people have I sidestepped? How many people have I walked around on my way to church? How many paralyzed people, physically, spiritually, whatever, have I sidestepped on my way to do my Christian thing? Listen, the greatest threat to the church moving forward The greatest threat to the Christian church, it's not sexuality, it's not drugs, it's not alcohol, it's not our culture trying to redefine gender or race or sexuality, whatever. The greatest threat to Christianity are comfortable Christians. Christians that have just decided, you know what, it's not worth my time, it's not worth my fight, I don't know what I get out of this. The greatest threat to the church moving forward are Christians that are just comfortable and willing to sidestep somebody that's hurt on their way to do their routine Christian thing. I've labeled this phenomenon bird box syndrome. (laughs) How many people have seen bird box or heard of it? Bird box syndrome. If you haven't, maybe we have a little... Uh, example of it we can throw up on the screen. Bird box syndrome. Basically, story story is there's some bad things that come to the earth. If you see them, you die. You know what I mean? So everybody's walking around with blindfolds. And I feel like as Christians, it's easy for us. It's like our default setting to get into this bird box syndrome, myself included. Where this life of following Jesus becomes so much about me, so much about what I can gain, so much about me going deeper or going into a season of hiding, which isn't really real with God, like going into these like Christianity becomes so much about me that it's easy for us to walk around blind to lost, hurting and broken people all around us. And so I thought I'd give a little example here. Got my blindfold. It's like we're on our way to church and God says, hey, I want you to go invite that person in Starbucks to church with you. Hey, I want you to go be generous to that person on the street begging for money. Hey, I want you to have that hard conversation with your friend who needs some hope and needs some joy and needs some Jesus. I want you to do that even though it might feel weird. Hey, I got a spouse picked out for you. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's funny. But how often do we walk around blind to broke and hurting people all around us? People that are looking for something and that something is something that we have. It's Jesus. It's the hope of the world. But how often do we walk right by because we love our our comfortability. We love being around Jesus. We love how Jesus makes us feel. We love how Jesus comforts us and he's gentle with us and he's gracious towards us. And listen, all of that is true. But Jesus hasn't just asked to be gentle to us. It comes alongside and partners with this call that is on every single human being's life that has bowed their knee to Jesus. It is a call that say, I am committed to fighting for other people. I will choose to fight for others. I'll do it for myself. That's all right. Ben, you guys can slowly kind of make your way on up here. I remember growing up, I had a friend, I think I met him in middle school. He was hurt, and he was broken. And he came from a broken home. His mom left him when he was a kid. His brother bailed on him. 
His dad was addicted to pain medications and was angry and would drink. And I remember hanging out with my friend. We hung out all the time. We'd go to his house and play basketball or I'd play football or whatever. Like we, we were tight. We were close. We played basketball together in school and football together in school. And I constantly remember like even as a kid, Talking to my friend, like hearing his dad yelling in the other room or like throwing something, like seeing his dad's like pillbox, like stack up. Like I remember as a kid seeing my friend in so much pain, but never saying anything. And I remember I would go to youth as a kid and I would get fired up and I, I would be ready. Like I'm going to talk to my friend. I'm going to talk to him. And then I would get around him and I would just get nervous. Honestly, I would just get scared. And I would watch his life just kind of start to, to crumble and disintegrate. He did a good job of, of keeping it together on the outside. But I could just, you could just see it in his eyes. He was broken and he was hurting. And I remember we graduated high school and I went off to college and he went off to college and we kept in touch for a little bit. And then one day, One day I got a phone call from one of my other friends. He said, hey, have you talked to so-and-so recently? No. Well, have you heard? No, I haven't heard. What are you talking about? Uh, he actually, no lie, he moved out to Denver. He reconnected with his mom and his brother. He started doing heroin. And he overdosed last night and he died. And I just wanted to reach out and see if you wanted to be a part of his funeral. If you wanted to come and say anything or just, I know you're in Florida, like I just want you to come and like be there. And I remember sitting there thinking like, man, what am I doing with my life? How dare I have this hope that I'm too embarrassed, I'm too ashamed. I feel too weird. Like I don't want to cause weirdness. So I don't talk to him. And there are people every single day that are dying, literally dying, waiting for just an ounce of hope. And people always ask me, or people, they try to compliment me and say, hey, I love when you talk, you're passionate, like, Listen, I'm not passionate because I'm trying to be cool or funny. I like every time I step on this stage, I think of my friend. I think about what it would have been like if I just would have said something, if I just would have chose to fight for him no matter what it looked like, if I just would have chose to like carry that and say, hey, like I have you. I don't care how messy this is. I don't care how dark or deep this gets. Like I am in this with you and I just made up my mind. Like life is too short. There is too much on the line to sit there and just be comfortable. I don't want to be comfortable. I want to choose to fight for broken people. I want to choose to fight for hurting people. I don't want to build an empire. I don't want to build a platform. You can have all the influence in the world. Just give me a broken, hurting person and let me guide them to Jesus. That is all I want with my life. Like, I will give my life to this. And I wonder if we're in here, if you would say, I'm tired of being comfortable. The life God wants for you it isn't comfortable. It's amazing. It's adventurous. But it's a fight. 
It's a battle that you step into every single day to fight for broken, lost, hurting people that need the hope that you have on the inside. My final point as I close, and I want you guys to stand with me. No reason, I just want you to. My final point as I close is this. Jesus always responds to desperation. Jesus always responds to desperation. I love this story because it says some men, some men that were just fed up of being comfortable, some men that were fed up with the status quo, some men that could easily have been a part of the crowd, that could have easily stepped over their paralyzed friend to get to Jesus, some men that could have easily waited in line for their friend to have his turn with Jesus, some men were just fed up with how the thing, how things were and they just wanted their broken, hurting friend to find hope. Some men got tired of the way things were. They knew their friend needed hope. They knew they could be around Jesus. But what would be better would be to join the fight with Jesus. And so they just decided, I'm in this thing. I'm in it. And my favorite thing about this story, these four guys, my absolute favorite thing about this is this. We never get to know their names. We never get to know their names. The Bible just says some men, some women. We don't hear their credentials. We don't hear their giftings. We don't hear their callings. We don't hear their occupations. We just hear that some men decided enough is enough. I'm not living this way. I'm not waiting anymore. I'm not letting any more friends die. I'm not, I'm not waiting on this anymore. I've decided I have chosen that I will fight for any single person I can. And in this story, get this, Jesus gets the glory. Jesus performs a miracle and he gets the glory, which is good because Jesus is the only person that whose soul and heart is capable of receiving glory. Glory was not made for us. It was made for him. Our job is to push all glory that we can onto Jesus. Jesus gets the glory. Their friend, their paralytic friend gets the miracle. And these guys who do all the heavy lifting. They do all the work. They get all the determination. We don't even get their name. Jesus gets the glory. Friend gets the miracle. They don't even get a shout out. The word trailblazer, I think when we hear trailblazer, it sounds sexy, it sounds cool because it's influence, it's praise, it's accolades, it's people knowing your name. But what if in this fight for other people, you give everything you have and no one ever knows your name, but they know Jesus' name. And that's the only name that matters. That's the only name that can change anything. That's the only name that can bring healing. That's the only name that can raise the dead to life. That's the only name that can conquer depression and anxiety. That is the only name that gives you purpose and power. What if we were in this and no one ever knew our name, but they knew Jesus' name? And that's what it's about. Tonight, if you're in here, and maybe you're just having a moment of honesty and you say, I've been comfortable. I've been comfortable. I've been okay being comfortable. And I've stepped over people because I just want my routine with Jesus. I don't want it. I don't want to rock the boat. All I want is my daily routine. I'm telling you tonight, there's too much on the line to keep that kind of life up. We need to decide. And so I wasn't even planning on doing this, but tonight, if you're in here, 
And you say, I'm tired of being comfortable. I'm tired of being in it for myself. I'm tired of building my own kingdom. If you're in here and you've decided that you will choose every day of your life to fight for broken, lost, and hurting people, would you make your way down to the front? I want you to be uncomfortable now because it's going to be an uncomfortable life, but it's going to be a life of power. It's going to be a life where you see dead things come to life. It's going to be a life of, of, of seeing hurt, lost, broken people find purpose. And I promise you, it is the best life you could ever live. And so tonight as we worship, I just want you to, whatever you need to say to God, whatever, whatever conversation you need to have, would you just have that conversation with God and say, God, I'm in. I'm going to fight. I would choose to fight for every single person I come in contact with, not to build my own fame, not even to build this room, just, just because Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. And he's the answer. And tonight, if you're in here and you don't know who Jesus is, that God that we talk about fighting for others for, he fought for you. He fought for you. All God would have had to do for us to be absolutely screwed is literally nothing. But he came. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And he came because he loves you just as you are. And he loves you too much for you to stay the way that you are. And so literally, they took him and they tortured him and they beat him and they drove nails in his hand. And he said, I'll take it because they're worth it. If you're in here tonight and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that he loves you. And tonight can be your night to make a decision to follow him. And I promise you, it'll be the best decision you'll ever make. Things in your life might not radically change, but there'll be something in your heart. Your spirit will be different. Your mind will be different. Your heart will be different. Your heart that was dead will come alive for the first time in your life. And you will have an opportunity to live your entire life with a living, breathing God in heaven who knows your name. If you're in here tonight, and you say, Connor, I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. On the count of three, would you lift your hand? One, Jesus loves you more than you could ever imagine. Two, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Do not wait. Three, if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, would you lift your hand? We want to pray with you. Give it up. Give a round of applause. Everybody in here, will you pray with me as we go into worship? Jesus, we love you. It's as simple as that. And you said that we get all of you. If you get all of us, God, we're tired of living these half-hearted lives. We're tired of being comfortable. God, would you call us to something greater? Would you give us a revelation from heaven to fight for the lost and the broken? And for anybody in here that raised their hand to make a decision to follow Jesus, the Bible simply says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you will be saved. So on the count of three, if you raise your hand, could you just say, everybody in this room, could you just say Jesus is Lord on the count of three? One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. Can we worship together tonight? I love you guys.